this evening, instead of giving a helpful tip for public prayer and then moving on to an exhortation from Scripture after that, I want to try to kill two birds with one stone. The exhortation from Scripture uh, will here contain within it the tip that I also had lined up for this evening. It, it just worked out that way, and hopefully uh, it'll still be an encouragement uh, to prayer and, and steer our hearts uh, toward an attitude of prayer, even though it will be primarily didactic in nature. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is trying to correct the Corinthian abuse of the gift of tongues in corporate worship. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 15 through 17. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now, three things that I want to draw out from this passage. Number one, that we should pray with the mind. Number two, we should pray with others in mind. And three, we should let others know our mind. So number one, we should pray with the mind. Paul says, I will pray with my mind. Now, to pray with the mind means just that. It means to pray using your intellectual faculties. It's to pray using the rational reasoning faculties of the gray matter between your ears. Now, this means that when we pray, especially in corporate prayer publicly, we have to pray thoughtfully and sensibly. To pray with the mind is to pray in a way that communicates concepts and ideas that are rational and understandable. This means that you form full, complete thoughts, and then you pray those thoughts. You pray with the mind. And obviously this is very practical for public prayer. It means that we have to think. Public prayer or corporate prayer requires thinking. We must think about what we're going to say. Now, this could be prior to the meeting itself where you prepare some thoughts or even write out a prayer, but especially in the moment of prayer, as you're praying, you have to think about what you're going to say. We, we use our brains, and we, we usually do this imperceptibly and in, in the blink of an eye many times, but we have to form a complete thought and then in our mind conclude that this is a complete thought and that it is a right thought and a useful thought, and then we pray what we just determined to say in our minds. So this requires thinking. It also requires us to think biblically. To think biblically. We cannot truly pray with the mind 
if we don't have some biblical data there, if we don't really know who we're talking to. You can't pray to God if you don't know who God is. We can't really pray with a mind if we're not clear on who we are in contrast with God. We can't rightly pray with the mind if we don't know what the content of our prayers should be. And Scripture is clear. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Scripture also gives us the material with which to think, the the data that a Christian uses to form biblical and spiritual thoughts. Sadly, it's true that you can find out how much time a person spends in the Word of God by their prayers. Now, they may pray, and they may sound like they're praying thoughtfully, but you can tell by the way that they say things or the things that they pray for that they aren't actually thinking biblically. Well, a Christian mind should be shaped by the Bible, so we have to think, and we have to think biblically. To pray with the mind also means that we should let our minds and and the biblical thoughts and considerations that fill our minds lead in prayer and not our mouths. To put it simply, we should think first and then speak. Hosea 14.2 says, take with you words. How often is it that we begin to what I call snowball our statements. You, you know, uh, preachers do this, and we do this in our prayers, where we, we, we come up with a, a word or a phrase that we realize can be said in multiple ways. Uh, we might be speaking of God and say, God, you are good, and you are great, and you are majestic. And, and we realize that we are able to stack these things like a snowball rolling down the hill gets bigger and bigger. How often does that happen? And we let our mouths get out in front of us and we say, and God, you are, and we don't have anything to put there because we didn't actually think about what we were going to say. We just let our mouths go ahead and lead us into another phrase when our brain was not there. And a lot of times that happens and we realize we have nothing to say. Your, Your mouth has outrun your mind. Well, in prayer, it's okay to think first and then speak. And it's okay to stop speaking when the thinking has ended. All this helps us to to put into practice what we see here, that we are to pray with the mind, thoughtfully, sensibly, rationally. Number two, we see here that we are to pray with others in mind. Pray with others in mind. Paul references the outsider, that is the unlearned or the untaught or the uninitiated. And then he mentions this other person as being built up or not being built up. This reminds us that our public prayers are not just for us. Other people are listening and they should be able to agree with your prayer. Other people are listening and they should be edified by your prayer. This doesn't just apply to outsiders, people who are not a part of the church, but anybody in the church who's listening, they are outside of your mind, and yet they ought to be able to listen to what you say and agree with it. And so as I'm praying or we are praying, we have to pray with others in mind. 
This is distinct. This, this separates corporate prayer and public prayer from private prayer. In private prayer, you don't have to think about anybody else but yourself and God. But in corporate prayer and in, in public prayer, we have to pray with others in mind. And this is sometimes very hard because we desire when praying to experience real personal communion with God that that often in in our practice is tethered to being alone and not having to take anything else into consideration. And yet at the same time, we have to think about others. We, we in prayer, we have an audience of one, in a sense, and we also have the assembly of everyone who's listening that we have to keep in mind. Pray with others in mind. Why is this important? It's important first because when you lead in corporate prayer, you are speaking as the mouthpiece of the assembly. You are taking a position of authority, of leadership, and you are praying their prayers. You are verbalizing their concerns. You say, how can I do that if I don't know what their concerns are or their heart? Well, this is where thinking biblically and Christianly about all things around us helps us because all of us have a Bible. We're all influenced and taught by the scriptures. We should be thinking biblically about everything so that when you pray as a as one Christian, you ought to be able to articulate generally the heart and the thinking of another Christian. That also has many implications for our public prayers. But you're being the mouthpiece, so you need to think about others when you pray. This is also important because those who are listening to you are trying to be agreeable, or they should be. When we listen to someone else lead in prayer, our desire should be to listen and to agree. We want to verify and affirm that the one who's leading in prayer is, in fact, speaking for me. They have articulated my heart. Not that I thought that thought the moment that they thought it, but when they say something, I recognize that that truth, that reality reverberates in my own heart, and I want to agree with that prayer. So you must pray with others in mind. Now, again, this is extremely practical when we come into the act of corporate prayer. This means that you must pray where everyone can hear you. How can they agree if they can't hear what you're saying? You must pray where all can hear. You must pray where everyone can understand you. You must pray where everyone can follow your speech patterns and your train of thought, not going into long, elaborate sentences with so many commas that not only do you not remember where you began that sentence, but nobody else does either. Now, we should not pray prayers <clears throat> when we're thinking of others. We won't pray prayers that are so specific in their details that they will exclude listeners who don't know every detail of the subject matter. You bring up a topic that not everybody knows about, and all of a sudden their minds are, are, are no longer with you in prayer, but their minds are thinking, what are, what are we talking about? Is there something that I've missed? Are there, there are details that I, I wasn't clued in on? 
So our prayers, public prayers, should not be so specific that they exclude people who don't know all the details, nor should they be so vague that they exclude people because nobody really knows what you're talking about. They're so vague that maybe you get what you're hinting at, but nobody else does. Well, you're not thinking about others. We must pray with others in mind. And then thirdly, we are to let others know our mind. You are to let others know your mind. We should be letting everyone else in the congregation know our mind with regard to the prayers. Do you agree with the thanksgiving that was offered? Well, you should make that known. Everybody in the congregation should know that you agree. Do you agree with the praise or the supplications that were offered up? If so, you should make it known. Everyone in the congregation should know that you agree with the prayer. The whole congregation should make known that the prayer has been a sufficient articulation of our collective heart, that we truly did just pray as one man collectively, our hearts and minds united in prayer. Now, how do you do this? How can you let everybody else know your mind? Paul says, say, amen. Say, amen, or amen, however you like to pronounce it. When I'm reading the text of Scripture, I usually say, amen. I think that's the proper pronunciation, but when I say it privately, I say, amen. But amen or amen, however you want to say it. Amen is a word of affirmation and agreement. This word means, let it be so, or we agree, or yes, that's true, or we affirm. That's what the word means. It is the truth. We read in Jeremiah 28, 6, the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true. You see there, he, he said the word Amen. And then he basically defined or or expounded upon what that word meant. May it come true. May it be so. And historically, it was normative for the gathered people of God to offer their collective amen in public prayer. First Chronicles 1636. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Nehemiah 5:13, all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. Nehemiah 8, 6. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands. Psalm 106, 48. And let all the people say, Amen. It is not strange. And this is something that we need to lay hold of. It is not strange to conclude a public prayer with a congregational Amen. Or Amen. Now, What is the purpose of this? Why is this a biblical and historical precedent? Well, there are many things, many, many things, but a few. First, by uttering your amen, you make the prayer that was just prayed yours. You make that prayer yours. You see, in corporate prayer, 
everyone doesn't pray. Not in corporate prayer, not everyone prays at once. And many times in corporate prayer, we all hear prayers or praises or supplications that we think, wow, I wish I would have said that in that way. I wish I could articulate this or that in, in the way I just heard. A lot of times when we hear the prayers of others in public, we feel our own great weakness in prayer. Well, when we utter a hearty amen, we get to share in that prayer that was just offered. Though you did not pray it, you get to claim it as yours. You get to sign your name to it. We all get to join that one who led the prayer and make it our prayer even though it wasn't from our mouths. We corporately say that prayer is ours as a church. The amen also publicly affirms the truthfulness and validity of the prayer. Uh, the amen is, is adding the two or three witnesses to the prayer, which is important. With those two realities that we all get to join in and we get to add our affirmation to it, another benefit of the amen is that it is a great encouragement to the one who's just led in prayer. Because he prays and then he closes and he knows or even as he's praying, he's saying things and he's hearing and being reminded that the congregation is with him, that he has their heart. He knows that he's not uttering heresies or blasphemies. He's reminded that his brothers and sisters are grateful for his prayer. It's a great encouragement for me. One, if I preach or pray and there, there are no no amens. Anywhere to be heard, I, I'm greatly discouraged. I, I assume that I've, I've done something wrong. But when you hear the amen by your brothers and sisters, it is, it is an encouragement. Let others know your heart and your mind in prayer. Again, this is very practical in, in corporate prayer. This requires that we listen, that everyone listen to the prayer. The offering of the amen requires that every individual listen intently to the prayer that's being prayed because you can't affirm a prayer that you didn't hear unless you're being dishonest. So you have to listen to the prayer. It also means that we should listen to the prayers of our brothers seeking to be agreeable. We want to say amen. We want to encourage and affirm and validate the prayer, which means sometimes we do have to give our brothers a measure of, of grace and a benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we might have to put the best construction on certain prayers or petitions that we might find theologically weak or maybe practically inconsistent. We say, I wouldn't have said it that way or, or so on and so forth. We're not demanding perfection from those who pray publicly. We don't want to publicly humiliate one another by withholding our amen. This is how I'll show him what I think of his prayer. I'll be quiet. No, we, we want to assume the best. And so as, as much as we can in good conscience, we ought to offer up the amen. Thirdly, and, and practically, probably most practically of all, we should seek to be heard. Seek to be heard. The purpose of the amen is to be heard by all. 
especially the one who leads. So in our amen, we should intentionally make ourselves heard. We should be heard. A lot of times we think of the amen in a prayer as sort of like a private thing that I say to myself, but sometimes it slips and comes out audibly. That's that's incorrect. We, we learn here in 1 Corinthians 14, dealing specifically with corporate worship, that the amen is supposed to be public and heard. It is a decisively public matter. It is, a, it is meant to come out to the ears of a congregation. And so let the whole congregation know your mind by offering up your amen to the public prayers. Corporate prayer is an act of corporate worship. It's not private worship. It is joint communion with God where we all come together with God to commune with Him together. And we should want to edify and encourage and and, and strengthen and motivate our brothers. It it should be a time of joyful, spirit-filled, brotherly camaraderie between us as we, as it were, put our hands around each other and go together into the throne room of God and each of us speak in turn on behalf of the whole congregation. In other words, corporate prayer is meant to be corporate. It's meant to be corporate.